0: faith occurs in darkness faith is a leap as we say into the dark it's risking oneself it's, there's every reason not to do it in some respects but once that risk is taken once that decision is made then the evidence comes the confirmation comes and everything one reads and everything one sees confirms the truth the truth in which one has invested one's life
1: But, but where does one start? I'm thinking it has to do with our daily life and with the risk of sort of um, asking for some Jordan B. Peterson rules for life. I'm wondering, you know, where, where, <laughs> rules, do, you, what, where do you start practice uh, contemplative Christianity? I mean, you know, uh, again, with Peterson, his first uh, suggestion for people was uh, clean your room, No that you have to start by cleaning your room to clean your life and, or get organized and structure and, you know to find your potential. But, but, but where, where does one start today?
0: Well, I think cleaning your room is a very good idea. But I think before we get to the rules of life, we could probably take a page from an older version of the rules of life, which was the 12-step program, which was so effective, has been so effective in helping people deal with addiction. And actually, it has a relationship to Jung, as you probably know, that the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous was in correspondence with you. The first step is to acknowledge one's incapacity to change oneself. It's a complex moment of first of all recognizing that my life isn't what I want it to be and I can't do anything about it. Something has to be done for me and and this is, the, this is the movement within Alcoholics anonymous, anonymous or the 12-step program towards grace, that there, will be a, there is the power beyond me, another power beyond me, which is going to do for me what must be done, what I want done, but which I cannot do for myself. I think this is the beginning. I think we have to become much more com- comfortable with our own failings as people, with our own incapacities to live up to our ideals. Because this is what we will encounter in the solitude of contemplative practice. The first thing that a monk knows this, the first thing you meet with in your, in your retreat is your miserable, failing, morally impotent self. But instead of this being a, a psychologically crushing moment, it's in fact a, a liberating moment because the light that illuminates your poverty is the light of Christ, the light of the power that is transforming you. So this is the doctrine of redeemed poverty. Where do you start? Then you start with where you are. I think if we want, I don't think rules are the way to go. I I really think the, the language of rules belongs to another tradition. But if you want a rule, a few rules, I would say that without some experience of solitude, there is no chance. The light, the, the light will be shining on you regardless, but you won't notice it. The experience of your own poverty will be so terrifying to you that you'll do everything to avoid it. And so much of our busyness in the world is a way of avoiding an experience of our own finitude, of our own poverty. So without this, without solitude, without retreating from the noise of life, from the noise that we produce in our extroverted, busy um You know, frenetic quest to to nowhere. Uh, We will not. We will not notice that the light is shining all around us. So note the point that the solitude is not going to produce the light. The solitude is going to bring us into a place where we can notice that it's already shining upon us. And then secondly, I think we, we, we need to move from this position of solitude into a position of being with one another in a different way. So solitude is not isolation. We're not departing from the community because the community is a problem. We're departing from the community because we have become a problem to ourselves. and We do not know how to be with others. And out of this solitude, we come to recognize that the others are not the problem. The others are actually the solution. The future that we are longing for is a future with one another. Love is the, not just the origin of life, but it's the goal of life. It's where we want to go. We want, we want to be with others in such a way as to enjoy them and free them for their own path and to experience the same kind of respect and freedom from them, uh, with respect to ourselves. A perfect community is what we're longing for. And that's what all the energy is about. We, we want to be in communion with one another. And so the, the turn back to the community or the turn to the community in solitude might take the form simply of praying, praying for others. This is a nice place to start in your meditation and your prayer to think of others, to think of those who are suffering, to think of those you know, perhaps, um, who are difficult for you and, and, and who you are probably inclined to um, ignore because they are repellent to you, to take them into your prayer, but then also to move out into, into communal life in a new way. That is to find opportunities to practice to live out of your resurrected body, because the resurrection. The resurrection has in eternity already happened. And we have access to resurrection energy now. Although we are still awaiting the full transformations of our bodies and souls, we have access to that energy in Christ now and to find opportunities to let that energy transform our daily relationships. So then we simply go go about our ordinary lives. We do not need a monastery. We do not need an ashram. We just need uh, others, in, uh, and we need others, and we need to be with others in the right way. And so this dynamic of solitude and being with others, I think, is the absolute key. None of this, of course, can float free. And so there needs to be reading. I think Christianity is a, it's a very literary kind of tradition. And I think in this regard, it's probably different from other traditions, particularly from Taoism and Zen. So the scripture, I think, becomes, there, there's no contemplative Christian for whom the scripture is not a central, um, a keystone of their life. So, and, and what's amazing, of course, is how the scripture will come to life through the practice. So maybe at first you open the scripture, you read the Gospel of John, or you read Paul's letter to Colossians, and it just sort of sounds like I don't know, language from another time that's no longer relevant. But with the contemplative practice and the contemplative experience of oneself as redeemed poverty, and with the experience of charity operating through you in your life with others, in spite of your moral impotence, the scriptures come comes to life. And this, this is a phenomenon that I've noticed many times in my life that the confirmation of faith, the evidence for faith, comes after the act. So it's, it's not like a philosophical path where we have the evidence and we reason and then we make a judgment. Rather, faith occurs in darkness. Faith is an, a leap, as we say, into the dark. It's risking oneself. It's, there is every reason not to do it in some respects. But once that risk is taken, once that decision is made, then the evidence comes, the confirmation comes. And everything one reads, and everything one sees confirms the truth, the truth in which one has invested one's life. And then, you know, I, then we, we, we simply have to recognize after, you know, that our lives are not our own and that we have a vocation and this vocation is not our own construct and to live our life, to live our life, uh, the life that has given us to live to, as best we can. So whether we're teachers or students or middle-class uh, executives or uh, wor- working-class laborers in an Amazon Fulfillment Center, wherever we are, Uh, to accept the path that we've been given as adequate. That is, through this and in this, I too can enjoy the Christ. That this too is Christ. That this has been, this is not an accident. That the Father, to speak that language, that Trinitarian language, the Father has ordained this path for me as adequate adequate for me. I, I don't need to alter the externals. I need to alter the way in which I pursue the, 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 the path allotted to me. I, those are not rules. It's just trends, you could say. And then once we recognize, of course, that no rule is, is adequate, we can pursue whatever rules we like. So I, in my own practice, have learned immense amount from psychoanalysis from the practice of uh, um, active imagination, um, from yoga and sit- seated meditation. For years, I think uh, I, I was pretty much a Zen practitioner in a Christian community. Uh, it was immensely important for me to experience this stilling of my mind through the regulation of my breath. That's not a path of salvation. It wasn't, it wasn't through that practice that I experienced the light of the Christ, but it it was a practice that allowed me to to enjoy it, you could say, to stay with it, to to, to cease doing what I habitually do, which obstructs the light, and allow it to illuminate my life more regularly, more uh, without interruption. And one finds, you know, that the, the the peak religious experiences don't become nearly as important then because one's whole life is full of religious experience. I was teaching a class the other day in philosophy and mysticism, in an undergraduate course, and the student asked me, have you ever had a mystical experience? And I hesitated because at first I didn't know how to answer her because I understood what she was thinking about. She was thinking about a peak religious experience, a moment where you know the veil parts and we see God. You know, we're lifted out of ourselves, or even something supernatural happens to us. And I think yes, if I if I think if if I, if I pause for a moment, I could probably find moments in my life which I could describe as extraordinary or mystical. But they have faded in significance to me for me in in the years because what I'm interested in is ordinary religious experience. I want my whole life to be religious. It's not, I'm not looking for a single moment that would stand out from all the other moments as the sight of the sacred, everything else being dark and profane, but I want to experience everything as sacred. And so the Christ becomes, in a curious way, a daily experience, as ordinary as breathing. Nothing extraordinary is needed. Rather, the ordinary has to be unveiled for what it is, as extraordinary, in all of its ordinariness.
1: But don't don't you think that some people actually need the ashram, the monastery, the analytic room, the frame? the the rails in order to to sort of, uh, yeah, to be able to carve out this, or to get help in in, in getting a beginning of, you know, reaching that, you know, point of poverty or of light uh, that you're describing. Don't you believe a part of the problem is that there are no rooms, or there are rooms for that, but those rooms are, yeah, within psychoanalysis or within the ashram, Uh, But it's not like the church is probably not the first place we would think of going to today, at least not I, if I would want to sort of start practicing this.
0: I I think you're right. I think something is needed. What is it that we look for in the monastery, in the ashram, in the yoga studio? And I think what we look for is a teacher, and I think that's what's needed. We need need someone to um, mentor us. And that's as true for the Buddhist path as it is for the Christian path. Christianity was dependent upon the example and teaching of the saints. The Christ man, the Christ woman would would, would accept the vocation of being an initiator, a teacher of others. And so the real problem is not that we don't have the space, it's just that we don't have the teachers. Or if we, if they are there, they're hard to find, and I, I, this is something that I, that I think is in the process of being tra- uh, changed. You know, we're obviously on the cusp of a new age of our civilization where information is no longer what it was, and everything is accessible all the time. And this, in some respects, is going to help, and in other respects, it's going to hinder because we're going to have, of course, the information overload. But now, certain voices that were maybe marginalized by the logic of the world, are, easily, are more easily accessible. I, I think one of the reasons Richard Rohr's Contemplative Christianity has made it into the limelight is precisely because of the new media. Without, without it, it wouldn't have. So we need the teachers and we need, we, need the, we need access to them. And so what are the sites where the teaching can happen? It might still be a monastery. There are still wonderful retreat centers in the world. And I certainly needed one. It might be a yoga studio, might be an eco-retreat, a space set apart where we can recover our solitude and be guided into the proper experience of our poverty, of our redeemed poverty. We we need these places set apart, not because God is to be found in a monastery or in a wilderness and not in a city, let's say, or in a university classroom. That's a fallacy. Everything is sacred. So God is equally present, equally accessible in the classroom as in the monastery, in the marketplace, as in the church. But we ourselves are not equally um, accessible to ourselves. That is... We're not the same everywhere. So we need these places set apart in order to recover ourselves, to 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 uh, find our center, if you like. But once the center is found, you don't need the place anymore. So these places should be, they should exist, and they still do exist. I think it's wonderful that we have not demolished all of our churches and turned them all into beds and breakfasts and community centers uh, where we listen to music, but some of them still are places that are open to the community for prayer. An, an inner city church is a lovely thing, particularly in Europe. To open to, to slip into the, church, to, into the empty church and to sit in the architecture of another age with the mm. uh, emptiness and the space. Uh, nothing going on but you experiencing yourself. This is a wonderful, wonderful resource. It's easily accessible to anybody living in a European capital. So it's an
1: example, but there are many others. Yeah, I'm also thinking how the the home, the private space, is also in transformation today. Yes, the pandemic, you know, somehow work has moved to home. You no, know? so now people are doing home office. So work has moved from the workplace and it's moved home into the private sphere. So people are rebuilding their homes to have a workspace where they can do their Zoom calls or whatnot. But it also introduces, you know, yeah, again, the public into the private space. And what what, when, what I was thinking about when you spoke was the necessity or maybe the need for a for a shrine.
0: I think it's crucial. I think there should... I, I've, I always need one. There always needs to be a corner of my... My house, my home, my apartment, wherever it is, where I can go and close the door and uh, return from the busyness of my overactive mind uh, into the center where the light is always shining. I always need that. And Jesus, too, he said that. You know, they asked Jesus, how are we to pray? And he said, well, when you pray, don't make a big noise for others to hear. Rather, go into your room and close the door and pray in secret, and your Father, who knows all secrets, will hear you. What Jesus is saying is, keep a space for yourself, for your practice. What you do in that space is not nearly as important as maintaining this space. And I think that's the point with regard to rules. You know, there should be a practice— there should be rules. What they are is not so important. They might change. You know, the, the, the spiritual life is a dynamic thing. One, one grows in, in, in the spirit. One, so the practices one had when one was 25 are no longer needed anymore. Uh, for me right now, uh, equally important as a, as a space in the home is an opportunity to get outdoors and walk uh, under the trees, in the sun, you know, with, with some experience of the non-human natural world thriving around me, that's, that's where I pray best these days. That was not always the case. Uh, so, as I say, the, the, the what here is not nearly as important as the how. What, how however, however you find your place, your, your center, that's what needs to be protected so that you can go from this Uh, Temonos, into the world and realize that everything is sacred. It's a little bit like the ladder, you know? You don't need the ladder when you get to the top. You can kick it away. But uh, ladders are still required for those who are not, you know, for those of us who still are climbing